everyone, and welcome to The Geek Rant, episode 344. First things first, recorded November 25th, 2018, and brought to you by Element Opie Productions. ElementOpie.com. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to Drive Time Radio for Geeks. I am your host, Mark, the Sultan of the Soapbox Cockerel, and joining me this week in absence of our good friend Seth the Gooey Kid Anderson is Miles the Oxygenier Wakeham. Hello, Miles. Uh, well, I'm not used to being the first person to talk after you do the intro, so I'm completely lost. All I can say is, Seth, I hope you're feeling better. Yeah. And uh, Jen in the chat room pipes up saying hello, everyone, so he gets in there too. Uh, yeah, uh, Seth is 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 ill. Um, he sent me a text and basically said, I've, I haven't been feeling well all weekend, and I don't think you want my croaky voice on the show. And uh, so I get that. So it doesn't sound like he's at death's door or anything, but was just not in podcasting form. So rest up, buddy. We'll see you next year. That's right. Is next this year. The, this is our last podcast of 2018. Oh, yeah. Is this the flu season starting? Uh, I think officially the flu season starts early October. But yeah, it's we're definitely in, in the ballpark. <laughs> okay. Got that to look forward to. <laughs> um. Yeah, so uh, this was Thanksgiving week in the U.S., as we talked about last week. Um, so, Miles, did you uh, consume uh, large quantities of fowl of your choice? Yes, we did. Yeah, pork and fowl. I'm, I'm the worst example of uh, – well, I'm a great example for the keto people, but, <laughs> but that's about it. We have our – my mother-in-law is in from Australia for three months staying with us, and uh, – I get on great with my mother-in-law, which is fantastic. So, uh, yeah, we had a sort of an extended family Thanksgiving thing, which was fun. What did you get up to? Well, for the first time in, and I think, about 20 years, honestly, uh, we had nobody at our table other than just our family, uh, or my immediate family, my wife and three daughters. Um, no extended family. We, we like to pick up strays. Uh, nobody uh, this year, no uh, uh, elderly person that didn't have anywhere to go or no college student. Uh, and it was, so it was just us. And it was, it was nice. I mean, I happen to like my family, but it was, uh, it was kind of a landmark in that way that it was just my immediate family. And, uh, and we always make a ton of food. My wife bought a 20-pound turkey to feed to the five people in my family. So we'll be eating turkey for a while. Um. <laughs> oh man that's just like fun though i mean yeah. i you know next time i'm in town man i'm <laughs> dropping by uh, the door is always <laughs> well not literally the invitation is always open the door will right. have to be unlocked for you <laughs> but uh, when i there were several times in my early childhood where i was the stray that was taken in and so uh, it's not like a solemn vow i made to myself or anything but i i do make it a point to try to pick up the strays whenever possible and uh Usually I get somebody to take me up on it, but not this year. Yeah. I've always wanted to go and do, you know, maybe in the morning, go to a food kitchen or something. And But then I always look at this and think, you know, if if I'm so committed to doing that, I should do that every Sunday or That's I should do point. that, you know, a few times a year, not just once a year just because it's fashionable. But uh, I don't know. I need to do something. One must give back. Another thing I did this week, I took Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday off, so I had a, an extended weekend, so to speak, and uh, we got to take in some media. I took my kids to see Wreck-It Ralph. Ralph breaks the internet, the, second, the sequel to Wreck-It Ralph. Um, it was a fine movie. Uh, like most sequels, not as uh, original or, or creative as the first, but definitely worth uh, watching. The kids enjoyed it, and the mom and I uh, had some good guffaws throughout there as well, so I recommend Wreck-It Ralph. Ralph breaks the internet, um, and... Uh, the second thing is I finished up Daredevil Season 3, 
Um, and holy crap, they have come back in all their their good form. I mean, I've, I've routinely said Daredevil season one is some of the best film, not just television, best film I've ever seen. Second season was pretty weak, uh, but I stuck with it. Third season knocked it out of the park again. I, I highly recommend Daredevils on Netflix seasons one and three. Two is is okay. Oh, okay. My my daughter went into a wreck at Ralph last night. She comes home and goes, "Dad, you'd love to see that. You'd love this movie." Apparently, it's got lots of little bits of tech geekery built in. Little yeah, uh, I don't know, Nvidia Shield reference. She said, "Yeah, there was uh, there was uh, um, just some basic." Um, uh, tech inside nods but also my favorite part of that is is pixar owned by disney making fun of disney it was actually my favorite part of the whole movie it was an extended sequence there with all the disney princesses and you know princess vanellope is a disney princess but not like all the others uh so that was a very fun little uh thing that the kids don't really get but the parents get it yeah okay well i might go and check it out actually sounds like fun yeah, it's not a bad way to spend uh, a couple of hours. Um, you know, and if, you, if you're like me, you're taking five people and you happen to go to a restaurant where they also serve, or a theater where they also serve overpriced food in the theater, um, it's, uh, you know, take out a bank loan before you go. But, uh, you know, not a bad way to spend the day. <laughs> yeah, you get the comfy chairs. Yeah, reclining and everything. Um, yeah. And the reserve seating. That's the reason I do those things because uh, I'm just at a point in my life where I don't have time to stand in line. You know, if, if I have to stand in line, it's not worth it. So yeah. I reserve my seats a day ahead of time, um, buy the, you know, I think it was $15 frozen pizza, you know, not, not ideal, but, uh, I got to spend time with my kids and that's what it was all about. Yeah, that's true. And then you want to talk about something that, uh, you've seen the show. I've seen the, the trailer to the show and it sounds pretty fascinating. Tell us about Darren Brown's sacrifice. Yeah. Well, Darren Brown is a, uh, I, I always thought of him as a magician. He's always a stage magician, one of these kind of, you know, pen and Teller type. I thought they were just doing magic tricks and so on. But no, actually, he's a psychologist slash hypnotherapist, and he does, like, mass hypnotism. So, you know, these guys have been around for years. There's been hypnotists doing that sort of thing for ages. It, this guy's a British guy, and he does uh, the most amazing social and human experiments. Um, he's been doing them for ages, and he's made quite a career out of it. He's quite an entertainer. Well, I always thought he was only a UK uh, person, and then lo and behold, he pops up on Netflix with a new show called Sacrifice. And uh, the, the premise of the show is that um, – when he was in London, there was this uh, group of people that were doing an experiment on how far you could influence someone's behavior by using social media or social techniques to make them do things they wouldn't normally do. That's the premise of it. And it's quite timely. I mean, after you see all of the stuff you know, on the media with elections and so on, it, it kind of becomes a timely topic. So I, I was watching this thing. Well, what happened was this guy from Florida – who happened to be in London on vacation, and he, his girlfriend and him decided to go to participate in one of these shows, and they picked this guy out of the crowd, and the one reason they picked him was that he's a staunch anti-immigration guy. And, you know, ever since he was a kid, his, his whole parents and everything were talking about, you know, illegal immigrants shouldn't be in America and they're stealing your job and all that stuff. And um, so... 
Darren Brown attempted to try to change his belief system, not using hypnotherapy, well, a bit of hypnotherapy in there, but using techniques of suggestive techniques and so on. And this show goes from him being this staunch kind of right-winged anti-immigrant guy and all the way through to him, and I'm not going to tell you whether he does or he does it, but the, the premise is they're going to set it up so that he is going to be put in a position where he has to take a bullet for an Ill- illegal alien who's about to get shot. And they take you through the entire journey where you see how social experiments and suggestive technologies and all these manipulation tactics work and change behavior from somebody who started off with one belief system and ended up with an entirely different one. Uh, It's an amazing show. And if you're into mind hacking, I guess, uh, this would be one of the best shows that demonstrate how it all works. Sounds fascinating. I will add that to my list of things to watch, and maybe we'll talk about it on a different show. Hmm. That'd be a good one. So the topic of this show, uh, the first things first, this is, as I mentioned, the last show of the year. We're taking uh, December off as we have done the last couple of years. I find it a nice, refreshing thing. And plus, now that I've got kids that are teenagers, there's always some sort of choir performance or band concert or a party or something pretty much every weekend in December. So uh, rather than try to work around that, we'll just take December off and we'll be back, uh, I think, second Wednesday in in uh, D- January is how to, how that'll work out. That'll be the first the the first Wednesday after the first Sunday in January. But anyway, we'll talk about that at a later date. Um, but as I got to thinking about the you know the end of the year and that sort of thing, resolutions come to mind. We talk about making resolutions and you know some stuff that I've been dealing with with my kids. Just as you know, they're uh, they're sixteen, fourteen, and ten. So we have these kind of uh, life lesson sort of conversations on a regular basis. And then, you know, I, I work with some much younger people than I do. And, and so the, the sort of trend that popped up and I thought it would be interesting to get, uh, miles and, and sadly Seth won't be able to, to chime in on it. Uh, their concepts on it is setting priorities. So that's why I call it uh, first things first. Um, I've known a lot of people my age, 40 somethings who come to, you know, they're, st- they're staring down the barrel of 50 and realize that they've just been bumbling through half a century and they don't have a plan and life has happened to them all along the way. So I thought we would talk a little bit about, you know, setting your priorities. If you don't set your priorities, life will set them for you or your boss will set them for you or, you know, some, some other thing will tell you what to do. And it's always best if you can, if you can tell your life what to do instead of your life telling you what to do. So that's my intro. Miles, what what are your thoughts on it? Just off the top of your head. Oh, I think it's a topic that should we, – we need to have this conversation. I think we all do. Um, I, I'm going to give you my input from a totally alien angle, which is probably atypical of most, but it, it directly parallels your point. I mean, yeah, you've got to know – you've got to have a plan. Right. Because if you don't, somebody else does. Um, and I know when I was much younger, uh, and getting started out in my career and then, you know, a few years ago I I switched careers. So I I became the new guy at, at 40 years old, starting over again. Um, and you know, I'm, I'm starting with work, uh, because that tends particularly with men, but with women also, it it tends to be, uh, the driving influence. You get a group of men together who don't know each other. 
within the first few minutes, the conversation will be, will turn to what do you do? Um, you get a group of people, uh, men together who do know each other and the conversations will be, um, about, you know, the problems or the turmoils or the, the, whatever's going on at work. That's what men talk about. Men talk about work. Um, yeah, it's, it's common ground. That's right. That's what it is. Cause we are known, we are known by what we do. So it's easy to get caught up in that work and to let work ruin your life. Work becomes your life. Um, and, and I'm lucky to work with, uh, with good people and a, a good company that understands the concept of balance. And one of the regular things that we talk about a lot around our office is work-life balance. Because my employer knows that if they work you to the point of being unhealthy, they not only you know, have ruined uh, you as a, as a per- member of society, but they've ruined a worker. You know, they, 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 they need you to have balance to be a good worker. Um, and so let's, you know, just talk about the, I, I put in the notes, Cats in the Cradle, that, that song by, uh, can't remember, Cat Stevens, uh, Link, no. I don't remember who is it. Uh, anyway, some, the internet will tell me, uh, where, you know, basically the, the guy works his whole life and can't spend any time with his son. And then when the son grows up and doesn't want to spend any time with the dad, um, you know, I'm staring down, down the umbrella of that with a, with a 16 year old and looking at, you know, the kind of things, uh, choices I made or didn't make. And, and that's the biggest thing. The things I didn't make, the choices I didn't make, that's still a choice. Um, and so, you know, you got to balance your work and your life. Miles is going to tell us who that is right now. Harry Shapin. Harry Shapin. And if you're, you know, if you grew up in the, uh, the 90s, you know it better as a song by Ugly Kid Joe. You didn't write that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so you got to have a plan to balance your life. What is that plan? You know, and, and. I don't have any magic bullets, but I do know one thing. Any job that doesn't include the phrase, would you like fries with that, includes something called paid time off. Take it. Don't, don't stack it up. Don't stock it up. Don't buy it out. Take your paid time off. Companies give you that for a reason. Well, I, I, let me, um, let's define a job and a career and, and all that stuff and, and break it down to the simplest Low and com- lowest common denominator, and it starts to make sense when you build it back up again. Because so much of our social culture is making assumptions about things that we actually didn't really break down and analyze. Um, a job is to sell your time to a another party for an amount of money. It's that simple. Your product that you're selling is your time and they pay you money for that time based on some sort of negotiated price, whether that's a price based on peer uh, value or what they define it as and what you're willing to take. It is the value of your time. And the thing that we have to understand is those human beings, we live on this planet for 2,000 working hours per year that uh, you are giving to somebody else. It's that simple. So if you multiply that by the number of years you've got, that gives you the total number of hours that you're going to multiply by your hourly rate, and that gives you a total life income, and that determines what you're allowed to do and be, and and in effect, the caste system of the United States is based on economics. And some so, of, some people may yeah. be listening to this thinking, well, I, I make products. I don't sell my time. I, I build furniture, or I write songs. It's still the same thing. You, you put time and effort and know-how into the widget that you're selling. And then you put a price on that based on how long it took you and how difficult it was. Same equation. Exactly. So if you, if you go to college and you say, you know what, I'm going to become an accountant. 
So I'm going to go through and do four years a degree and I'm going to pay, or maybe you do post-grad, whatever. I'm going to pay a certain amount of money to get that education that's going to give me a value per hour that I'm going to sell. And your sell price as a private accountant might be 150 bucks an hour or something like that. You multiply by that, that by the number of hours you are willing to work and that becomes your, your income level. So when you say my career is to be an accountant, well, there's a big difference between a staff accountant working at a corporation or a small business or a medium business or a bookkeeper or a tax accountant or a corporate counsel you know, or a financial planner or whatever. They all differ within that scope, but you're still, no matter what you say, you might be proud to say, look, I make, you know, $300,000 a year because I'm a super duper cool Wall Street financial dude. Yeah, but you sell your time. And at the end of the day, when you're lying on your deathbed, you're the same guy as me and Mark and everybody else. You're a human being with a biological lifespan and you sold your time. That's it. And if you, if you start from that premise it changes the outlook tre- tremendously. <laughs> yeah, and and you need a you need a plan for that. And one of the things that that uh, is it, Mister Money Mustache. One of the one of those guys. One of the guys that you like, Miles, that you represent mm-hmm. uh, recommended. I was listening to uh, the podcast, and they talk about the 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 other things that you have to do. So um, there's the hours you spend at work. Let's say it's a nine to five job, right? Well, you've got to drive to and from that job. There's hours involved in that. And of course, you make that choice based on where you want to live, the kid, the school you want to put your kids in, that sort of thing. Uh, and then there's the, the uh, continuing education. Every job that doesn't involve asking, would you like fries with that, requires that you learn more and you adapt. And so there's some time that you spend to that. A lot of people just put in that, you know, 2,000 hours a year, and really they're spending, you know, 7,000 hours a year. And they're just not thinking in terms of what the job is really costing them. Right. That's so true. But you're right. Continuing education, if you're in a trade like you're a nurse or you're a lawyer or a doctor, uh, you're expected to meet a certain regulated threshold to be able to maintain the license to practice in that field. Um, For everybody else, if you're an IT guy, um, continuing education is kind of a built-in. We we reinvent ourselves every six months. Uh, it's just the nature of the beast. And we're constantly out there reading blogs and magazines and watching YouTube videos and learning and finding recommendations from friends and peers, and it never stops. And you have to, you have to make sure that you're – because if you don't do that, you get left behind. And the same thing, if you're, if you're – uh, uh, maybe you're a pure artist – you're a painter or a sculptor, um, and 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 you know people who create art for the sake of art. I I I got no issue with that, but you got to be able to sell it if you want to eat. And if you're making art for the sake of art and nobody wants to buy it, you're what's known as a starving artist. And so, <laughs> how do you not be a starving artist? You pay attention to what people want to buy, and you find your art. Uh, you find your avenue for art that people will buy. Your avenue for music. But that's still an, it's a matter of, of paying attention and learning and listening and, and growing as a person. Uh, even the greatest, you know, artist, you know, Picasso, if you look at his early work and his late work, vastly different because he grew as an artist. Well, also, the thing they forget to mention is that artists have to become experts in supply chain. Because at some point you originate something, you got to get it to a marketplace, and you got to get you got to get paid for it. 
and uh, therefore you've become very, very vested in the uh, in the art of distribution. <laughs> All right, so Miles, earlier you were saying that you were going to come at this from an alien perspective. So what is your alien perspective on, you know, the the maintaining a balance in your the life that you get paid to live and the life that you don't get paid to live? All right. Uh, well, I'll, let, let me start with a little context. And I'm not sure if I've mentioned this before, but it drives a lot of the things that affect me personally because it was a very uh, personal experience. Um, my father worked for a, a very large corporation in Australia. I won't mention them because I'll probably get some legal liability for this. But they're still around and they're a very large um, construction materials manufacturer. And uh, he was working predominantly as a, a roof inspector. His job was to go out on site and inspect large commercial roof installations that these guys were doing. And this is back in the, I'm going to say the 50s, sometime around then when he was sort of peaking in his career. Um, well, what they didn't say back then was that there was a building material that was commonly being used, and this particular company was like the leader in this field, uh, called asbestos. Today, we, we cringe when we hear that word because we know how carcinogenic that material is, was, uh, and all of the, you know, code requirements that buildings have got to get stripped down and re had it removed because science taught us that this was bad. Well, my father devoted 45 years of his life, basically all of his working life, to one corporation, the corporation that was going to take care of him and was going to look after him and give him the retirement and, you know, and he sacrificed himself for a paycheck to raise a family, put me through uh, school and the whole bit, you know, standard thing. Um, he retired at 65, like most people do, and he died at the age of 67 from asbestosis, which I guess they over here they call mesothelioma. Mm -hmm. um, it's a cancer of the lung, which is caused from the scarring from years and years of exposure to this material. Um, at the time when he passed, we didn't know that this was a thing. We didn't know that this was a liability the corporation had. Um, the last thing in the world you really care about is that, you know, your father's died. Uh, but that was that was a hard lesson for me in my early 20s to see because I was the guy who had to, you know, identify the body and do, you know, all that stuff, which is really hard. And I, I'm an only child, so it's all on me. Um, so anyway, having done that, I looked back at the whole thing and I thought, after, you know, you go through this, you kind of debrief yourself, right? You think... Um, what am I going to learn from this? I mean, as horrible as this experience is, what, what can I learn from this experience? And the one thing I learned was don't trust one company to be there to look after you because if you don't take care of your own responsibilities, your own life and your own self, and you don't give all to the company, maybe, I mean, I, look, he probably wouldn't have known what he was getting into back then, but maybe he would have. I don't know. At the end of the day, to to work and give your life to a company and then get two years of retirement and then die is not a good career path. <laughs> not for me, it wasn't. I looked at this whole thing and I said, you know, there but for the grace of God go I, uh-uh, not me. No, I ain't going to do that. I'm going to go out there and I'm going to make a name for myself and I'm not going to rely on a company to provide for me to do that because I can't trust them. And to this day, I, I still carry that kind of mantra around. What I realized when I 
I, I didn't know. It took me decades to work this out. But what I started realizing was that we define what we think we are based on the job you have and therefore the, I guess you call it lifestyle inflation that comes with that job. So if you earn $50,000, you'll live a $50,000 lifestyle. That's just how it is. And you'll look at things from that person's perspective and people will look at you as that person and you will carry around that mantra, whether it be the car you drive, the clothes you wear, the, the whether you go to Starbucks or you don't, the phone you carry, it's all part of a social contract we have with each other that says, I'm that guy, I earn that money. The problem is that in order for you to break free of that, you have to sacrifice you're not only you're sacrificing your time to earn that money, but you start sacrificing future time. You take loans out, you get a credit card, you get a mortgage, you, you get a student loan, you get a car loan, whatever it is, what you're doing is you're sacrificing your future time in order to have that thing, to be that person, to look that way, to maybe look like the $75,000 a year guy, not the 50 or the 100 or the whatever. It's a choice. And, and the way I look at it is that it shouldn't matter because what you do with your time is sacred. And if you don't treat it as sacred, you don't deserve to have it. I mean, we're on this planet for, I don't want to get preachy, but we're on this planet for a very finite amount of time. And if we don't make the most of that time, we are not committing ourselves to our end goal. So, I look at a job and a career as an impediment to having the freedom to be unconstrained to do whatever you need to do. And I've spent most of my life trying to work out the math and the formula and the methodology that enables me to not be my father. And, and that's kind of the angle I come at it from. And so that, you know, the, what you're talking about is retirement. That's the word that we apply to that. Uh, but it's not really retirement. It's it's the word that, that is more commonly used these days is financial independence. The point at which you don't rely on an outside entity to finance your life. Yes. Um, it's I, – I don't know if – no, if I – tell you what I – well, here, here's what I call it. I call it sustainability. What I do – is I work at, I look at everything in reverse. What I look at is for myself and my family, my daughter, our house, our dogs, whatever it is, it costs a certain amount of money to keep that, to have that. And you make the decision that that's that what that is what you want, right? You want the big house and the cars and whatever. Well, that's fine. You make the decision that's what you want. But work in reverse. Like if you decide I want that house and I want those cars, what is that going to cost you per month, per year, whatever it might be? Um, and what do you need to make in order to fund that? And then you build all these contingencies in, you know, for, you know, what if an adverse event happens? What if your car breaks down? What if you go into hospital? All that stuff. But you work out a number and what you've got to do is take that number and you've got to carve it down to as small a possible number as you can possibly get it. And you need to know what that is. And, you know, the boring word for that is a budget. But really the reality is it's a life expense cost. And what I do is I start with that. 
And then I work out how am I going to make that amount of money by doing the least amount of work that involves the least amount of time possible. It's the lazy, lazy way of trying to get through life. And funny thing is, I, I was a contractor once in a corporation, a programmer. And um, the guy, one of the guys I was working with said something so wise, and I'll never forget it. He goes, you know what? When I hire programmers, I try and find the laziest people I can find. I said, why? And he goes, because they're the smartest ones and they'll get the job done 10 times faster than anybody else because they're lazy. And I started realizing, you know, that's a talent, isn't it? <laughs> My uncle used to say the same thing. He said, if, if I had a choice between a hardworking guy and a lazy guy, I'll take the lazy guy every time because we'll be done sooner. Yeah. You know, get, 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 get yep. the job done sooner. Right on. Right on. And if, if that means so, – so that's the whole thing. You've got to know what the, the, the amount of money you have to make is and then all your stress goes away because at that point you know what you have to do, right? And then the world is your oyster about how you make that money. It doesn't matter what you do. You can go and sell – go down to your Goodwill, buy some stuff and sell it on eBay and make a profit. Maybe that's enough to make your money. Maybe that's what you want to do. Um, maybe it's, I want to invest in Vanguard index funds and make more money that way. Sure. If you want to do that, that's what you want to do. Maybe you want to buy real estate whatever. Do whatever you want to do. Maybe you want to have a job and you want to work 40 hours for an employer and do what you love doing because it's not work. It's what your passion is. Then do that. Whatever it is, it's your choice. And all you got to know is what is the number I have to make? And then it's up to me how I get there. And too many people uh, come at that from uh, instead of the angle of what do I need, what do I want, or what are, what is my my numbers? Uh, it, it's what will they give me? Whoever they is, right? That uh, the people who who talk about a living wage and we need a, a livable minimum wage, they have that mindset of whatever they will give me. Um, I, I have to have uh, you know X hours of work this week because I want I have to a car payment, right? So I have a car payment, so I have to work. Um, and there's nothing wrong with that, but it would be better if you planned your, your work around what, what you wanted before you went out and bought the car. Right. And if you had, if you had made a plan, uh, instead of just taking whatever job you could get. And, you know, I stand, I say all the time, I've every good thing in my life, including my, my wife and my children, I've stumbled off balance and backwards into, I don't plan, uh, like I should, but I've been really blessed, uh, anyway, but you know, looking back later now as a, as a man of middle age, uh, cause I'm going to be 90. So 45 is minimum middle age, um, is you, you want to, uh, I wish I had planned better. I wish I had done what you did. And, and what a lot of people, you know, they, they work so they can get a raise so that they can spend that raise so that they can look forward to the next raise so that they can work and they can get a raise. And, and there's nothing wrong with that either. You have a career path, you know, miles, you, you laid out the ideal thing there find the thing that you would do for free and then find somebody to pay you to do that thing and you'll never work a day in your life i i personally don't have that job i have a job that i'm good at uh, and i like uh who i do it with but the job is not the thing that i would choose to do if if i won you know a, a, a multi-billion dollar lottery today i wouldn't continue to do that job because i love it so much but it is a good job and it pays for uh, for my family's uh, you know uh, status. It pays for everything we need. But I have a plan there too. I don't want to stay here. I, I want to move within the corporation or outside of the corporation. Whatever it takes. I have a plan for where I want to be in the next ten years. 
Those plans have never, I've always had a 10 year plan. I've never met it. I've always either outperformed or underperformed, but I, at least I have a plan and I make it. And so at my company, there are certain moves that I'm going to make certain behaviors. I'm going to engage in certain things that I'm going to do because I, I have a plan. Right? I'm going to be. I'm going to work harder than the people around me. I'm going to dress better than the people around me. I'm going to be the guy that is so important to the company that when there come time to do layoffs, they wouldn't even consider laying me off. All right, that's that's a plan for me, and I get up every morning and I go to work and I execute that plan, that plan of excellence. Not because I love the job, not because I'm passionate about it, because it it meets the needs of my family, and and I have a plan for where I want to be you know, in, in 10 years. And it's really an income plan. It's not, I don't have my eye on that job. I have an eye on that income and sort of what mm-hmm. you were talking about. I need this income. I need to, to, I have a spreadsheet. Those of you who know me won't be surprised that I have a spreadsheet. Um, my retirement planning is a spreadsheet and I know more or less where I want to be when, when I, when I get become financially independent, what that number is. I know more or less what I have to do. And so I look around me and say, what are the steps that are going to get me to there. Uh, you know, if, if you work in a corporate office, um, if you show up when you're supposed to show up, leave when you're supposed to leave and work the whole time you're there, you will stand out among all those around you just by doing your job. If you then are excellent at your job, you stand out even more. And these are not miracle tips here. This is just be intentional about the job that you've chosen, even if it's not your passion. I, I, I'm so tired of listening to younger people you know, I, it's easy to blame millennials, but it tends to be younger people who have this mindset of, oh, I hate this job. I'm just going to do what it takes to get by. No, you have to excel at that job. You know, I, I used to say that, uh, uh, you know, of, of Gen Xers, of people like me, the fact that I got the job is reason enough to work. Millennials, that's the starting point. All right, I have the job. Now give me a reason to work. Um, and and you, that's painting with a broad, broad brush, but it has seemed to be true in the people I've known. Um but you have to make a plan. You have to work that plan. You have to execute that plan. Because if you don't, you'll just be bumbling along. And 10 years from now, you'll be in the same job you have. Why? Because you're unpromotable. Because you haven't done what needed to be done. Because you didn't know you needed to do it. Or maybe you did and you didn't care. So if you find yourself, if you're looking back 10 years and you're looking forward 10, year, uh, forward 10 years, and in that 20-year span, you don't see a difference in your life, that's because you failed to plan. And it's not too late. Start a plan now. It just means you got to work harder. Let me give you a couple of angles on that that often we forget. I, I In the very early part of the conversation, I mentioned that we sell our time by the hour to our employer. And so you want to what you're trying to do is say, look, I value my commitment to what I'm doing. I want to demonstrate that value to the employer by letting them get the most leverage out of the hours that they buy from me. Just like a vendor would try and create a great product and sell it to the right people, right? I'm trying to be the highest quality product possible. There you go. Right. And that's, and that's perfect. But I, would, I wouldn't say it's an argument. I would say it's an angle to this that the premise of your product being your time means you have a finite resource that only you can provide based on how many hours you're capable of working and yet you have a single customer for that time, which is this one employer, who will buy as much of that from you as possible up to a point where that's either regulated or their budget stops, where they say, you know, I'm paying you 40 hours of work a week, but if you want to give me 50, that's fine, but I ain't paying you a dime more. 
if that's what you want to do because you think that quantity is a representation of quality and of value to them, then so be it. You know, you make that decision. But at the end of the day, you're selling time. Like a, a vendor sells a product on a shelf, you're selling time. My argument is that you have a finite amount of you. And that is a false uh, narrative to begin with because at the end of the day, if you get sick or you can't work for one reason or another and you can't give them your time anymore, then all of a sudden your income stops or it's disrupted or something like that. That when you get to 65, like my father, and you say, I'm too old, I don't want to work anymore, then your income stops. Well, what do we do in retirement? We look for the savings that we put in, the investments, the, and we try and live off that yield if we were smart enough to do that. If we're not, we look to the government to support us by way of a pension or a social security payment or something like that, if that even exists when we get to retire. Um, we're punting on a future on the, on, we're so habitual into going to work every day and spending X amount of hours at work and forgetting that we're selling our time that when we get to the point where we either don't have the time to sell or we don't want to sell it anymore, we forgot what happens when you don't have time to sell, but you still need to get money. Which is why your plan also has to include a stopping time and a contingency. Exactly, you know, something as simple as disability insurance. If if I get hit in the head and lose my ability to think, I am no longer able to do any of the things that I do. Uh, I need to have a plan for that. In in the modern world, that plan is called insurance. Um, you you have a plan. You you put it in place. Yeah, and and, and know that life has got risks. We don't go through a life without some adversity. It all happens to everybody, and whether you're rear-ended in a car accident or whether you, you have a, a, you know, God forbid, a life-threatening illness or a member of your family does or something that requires you to divert time to address those events, then all of a sudden your employer is going to look at you and go, hey, where's that time I'm buying? Mm -hmm. And you're going to go, sorry, buddy, I can't sell you any right now. I'm busy over here. And they're going to go, well, phew, I'll go into the next guy, right? They don't care. Because the supply and demand curve is heavily weighted in their favor. There's <laughs> one customer and many vendors. So in this case, you know, the vendors are the employees and the customer is the employer. So th this is where the fallacy of time as a basis of income breaks down. And what I, th this is the, 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 the secret source. This is what I learned. And it takes time. I, in the 90s, in the very, very early 90s, I was blessed to find the book Rich Dad, Poor Dad by Robert Kiyosaki. And when I read that book, I and my wife did as well, which was an amazing thing. We both read it at the same time. We, we changed our life. We realized that if we want to go through life being employees all the time, it, Kiyosaki talks in terms of a thing called a four-quadrant uh, system where you're either an employee or you're self-employed or you're uh, – What's the other one? I think a small business owner and the final one is you're an investor. And these are the four quadrants. And the employee is very limited in what you can do. You can't get the tax deductions everybody else can get. You have to work the hours. You know, it's a tough one. The self-employed person, it's like you've created your own job, but it's a little better. The business owner, at least they can have other people generating income for them. And then the, finally, the investor, where the income is being generated from assets that you own. And that was the turning point for me. 
And what I've done for 20-something years is I've taken the money. So the formula for me is know your budget to live and try and find a way to live as frugally as possible. Generate twice that amount of income for a five-year period and save 50% of what you make. And it's really hard, but if you're a college student, it's not because you just got out of college. You used to ramen and you used to living with four other people in a room. Go and do that in the real world and make $75,000 salary and keep the money and bank it and invest it. That's why I like what the FI movement is doing. That's their mantra. But then where I think it breaks down is that you've got to start buying assets that generate money. Um, in my case, we bought a lot of real estate and we rent them out. Uh, we have also, I've also bought vending machines. I've bought other businesses. I've invested in uh, mutual funds. I've got, uh, I, I've got so many different diversified assets that have been accumulated over the years um, that make me money. And what happens is I live predominantly off the dividend. I get a monthly bonus from the investments I made 20 years ago, or I get rent money from properties we bought and paid off years ago. And at the end of the day, that money comes in. I don't have to get out of bed. <laughs> I mean, if I get hit by a truck tomorrow, I don't care. I've still got money coming in. And if I want to retire, well, that's kind of what I'm doing now. I'm not retired. I don't like that word. I hate that word. It seems to me like, a, like an end point, a death knell. But because I don't, sell hours to make money. I have assets that do that. Um, I have the freedom to jump on a plane and fly and see some friends in Portugal or, hey, I want to climb a mountain in, uh, climb a volcano in Mexico. Yeah, I'll go do that. Or I want to go see family back in Australia. I have the freedom to do that because I'm not having to sell my time by the hour. The problem is it takes 20 years <laughs> to get to that place and it takes struggle and it takes hard and diligent work and it takes discipline and frugality and savings to be able to acquire the money, to acquire the assets. It's the goose that keeps on giving. It's, it, it, it's, you've got to see it that way. And if you're lucky enough to be listening to this podcast and you're under the age of 30, you, the world is your oyster. If you just took my advice and you live frugally and save half your money and buy assets, and one day you too shall be free of not having to work for the man anymore. Um, and, and, that, you, and that's if, it. If you weren't fortunate enough to start at 25 or 30 or, or 20, then you're like me. You're, you're, I'm 46, um, and I'm way behind quote unquote, on, on that objective. But, you know, hopefully I've got about 20 years left in me of selling my time um, at an increasingly valuable rate of my time. That's my goal anyway. Um, and I am aggressively saving and investing. And, and so it's going to be harder for me. Uh, Miles, has a, a, you know, it's a point that's been made before. If you could um, get out of med school and be a doctor and live like a, a med school student for just five years, you're done, right? Whatever else you do after that is gravy. Um, so if you're young, uh, great. If you're not, if you didn't do that, if you're like me, you, you had kids and you, you scraped along and, and you just, you know, you're not behind, uh, but you're not doing great either. Um, then that's fine too. You just gotta, you gotta start your plan now. When's the best time to plant a tree 20 years ago. When's the second <laughs> best time to plant a tree today. Um, Very well said. So yeah. if you want, if you want to sit under a shade tree, plant it. 
Um, but, but you've got one advantage which the 20-something-year-old doesn't have, wisdom and experience. You see, you know over the course of decades how to best serve your customer, right? Your diligent approach to what you do for your employer is something that you learnt the hard way. Exactly. A 25-year-old person, a millennial, as you, as you rightly compare, has not gone through that life's lesson. They haven't been around the block yet. They don't know what life is like without a job. <laughs> they don't know what, what the value of that is yet. Until you've gone through those experiences, you don't have as much to offer. So therefore, your hourly selling price is, should be higher than theirs because you have more to offer. And the, the key is to take that experience and to compress what for me was a 20-year experience down to maybe a five. And it can be done. It can be done. We live in a world of YouTube video tutorials and and I, I could – you know what I love doing is watching some of these like extreme couponing people. They go on YouTube and they tell me how to fill my pantry for nothing. And I'm like, really? <laughs> is this how you do it? So, okay, I'm up for that. So, I'll get my start smartphone out and I'll download the apps they've got and I'll find out what to buy and I'll go out there and do it because I love it. I love the idea of of their wisdom hacking the system and all of a sudden my pantry's full and it didn't cost me a dime. And guess what I can do with that $200 that I just saved? I could buy a vending machine and it could give me coins every single month or I could put it into a real estate down payment or I could fund some index funds on Vanguard or I could put it in a Charles Schwab account or whatever. But I got my pantry filled <laughs> And who's the smart guy here? It's that's that's the excitement. That's where it is. And you know what? If it took me five hours to run around town and go to every Walmart and CVS and Kroger's and whatever else to go and do that, it's the fun of it. I do this stuff without and guess what? No one pays me by the hour to do it. I don't care. I'm learning. That's the thing. The seasoning of somebody at our age. And the experiences we've had means we will gravitate to that. We will do those things. And we're going to brag about it to our buddies at the bar or down the road, or we're going to talk about it at the, at the church, or we're going to, you know, because it's infectious. That's the key. Now, that is hard to get when you're 25. That's true. Although I don't share your passion for that. You know, Black Friday, for example, getting up at five to save $100 on a TV. I will pay you $100 to bring me that TV without me having to do that. Oh, I, a- I saved $500 on a TV on Black Friday because I didn't buy didn't one. buy it. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> I've I've had that conversation with my wife. I, I I tell her all the time. She's the she's the the salesman's perfect mark. She believes every pitch anybody ever gives her, and I love her uh, dearly. Uh, you know, that's one of the great qualities because I convinced her to marry me, and and she did. Um, but you know she she will say you know this thing was fifty percent off. I saved a hundred dollars by buying it. No, you spent two hundred dollars by <laughs> buying it. You didn't save anything. If you not bought it, you would have saved two hundred dollars. Oh, right anyway. on, right on. So, so you had mentioned about retirement. Like, my obviously, my perspective of retirement is just not having to have a job per se. But what do you what do you think people do when they retire? Well, I I've seen in my life three different examples, and that's not a, a lot, but I, I would say that it's representative of guys who worked forty years at the company, retired 
their children and grandchildren bought them the golden lazy boy as the retirement present they sat down on the lazy boy and they died three years later um people need a reason to live they need a thing to do um and i like what uh uh, uh, uh thou shall prosper rabbi daniel Appen. i like what he says about retirement it's not retiring it's just a different job you always work you're always doing something uh, in he talks about in the jewish culture there's no such thing as retirement you just shift your job um to you know having people work for you or something like that um i think it's important to not stop being productive because that's the point at which you start dying when you stop producing you start dying so uh, having a reason to retire for me uh it's not um sitting on the couch it's um traveling it's packing my wife up and flying to europe all right so now like you said i don't have to have uh, a, a an employer owning my time but also i have to you know i have to get out from under that but also have to have money saved to be able to do that and of course great travel hacking tips from my friend miles who tells me how to fly to paris for almost nothing but there's a lot of planning involved in that and so that's one of my things is i want to be able to um to to do what i want to be productive if i want to um bring in a local rock band and and produce their album for free just because i like their music i want to be able to do that that would be a fun sort of retirement for me if i want to sit behind this microphone and and podcast to people who don't care all day every day i, I want to be able to do that so that's my kind of retirement is is i don't want to be selling my time anymore i want to be owner of my time that's my goal in retirement to do what i want when i want because i own my time and i haven't had that position since 17 years old when i first started working my first hour wage job somebody has owned my time ever since so for 30 years almost somebody has owned every minute every working minute of my time i want to own that back that's my goal of retirement. Well, it, it's like I said, you know, the anatomy right from the start. We sell our time by the hour to a customer that is our employer, and they'll take as much as we are willing to sell up to a point where you've negotiated a price based on that number. And if you realize that it's a finite resource that we only have a certain number of thousands of hours on this planet before we expire, we hit our own use-by date, then all of a sudden the value of those hours goes up. If they're not willing to pay what you think your hours are worth based on the finite amount of them, I'm sorry, you can't make more of them, right? right. You can't scale up your time. It's what you've got. It's what you've been given and you need to respect it. And it's it's a question of, I mean, uh, uh, you could, you. I would say to anybody right now who's stuck in a, in a job that they hate and they're working too many hours and they just can't, Seem, they're on the treadmill and they, they can't seem to get off the treadmill. It's not easy. It isn't. But the treadmill is going at the pace that you your expense budget is set it to. And if you can dial that back and you can start embracing frugality as being something that's an enjoyable fun experience as opposed to a, oh, geez, I'd never do that. And and no, you don't need to go to Starbucks for coffee. You can make your own. And no, you don't need the latest F-150. You can buy a junker and learn to fix it. And you don't need to sign up for the latest cable TV plan because you can cord cut and probably get it yourself. All those things take time. But the one thing you get back when you don't have to be on that treadmill for as many hours is you get your time back. 
And it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. Like mm. if you have more time, you can learn to travel hack. You can learn to extreme coupon. You can learn to grow your own food. You can learn to live in three different places in the world because it's cheaper or the climate's better or whatever. You, you can be the person you've always wanted to be, but you've got to get your time back. We sell it out so easily. And don't, don't get me wrong, I'm not trying to destroy the economics of the United States, which is based on, you know, Fortune 500 corporations and template restaurants on every street corner and a McDonald's on every, and a Walmart in every town. I'm, I'm not trying to break that dynamic, but I don't honestly believe that, that dynamic is serving the citizenry as well as it could be. And that some people will will break from that and they'll say, I don't want that anymore. I'm going to go out there and I'm going to be my own plumber. I'm going to be my own wood turner. I'm going to be my own artist. I'm going to, I'm going to do what's my passion because I don't want to wait until I'm 65 before I can do that. Yeah, and and you know we've talked about this before the 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 budget thing the the planning you know uh, my my truck is twelve years old my wife's car is ten years old and we don't plan to get anything new within a decade probably because there's no need to they're fine um, we live in you know probably the one of the most more modest houses of people of my income range uh, it, I mean it's it's a freaking palace compared to what i grew up in but it's you know it's all relative um you know you just it's all about the choices you make you can spend your money now or you can spend it later um and i'd rather spend it later by buying back from from my employer we've we've thrown out some names here uh dave ramsey uh daniel lapin uh richard kiyosaki uh, there, there's lots of things out there uh resources for helping you know how to do this rich dad poor dad is a great book um i i take umbrage i'm just going to say up front with uh, uh kiyosaki is much more comfortable with with debt than i ever want to be you know, and he talks about leveraged investments. That's his big thing is, uh, you know, if the payment and the taxes and the mortgage and all that is $50 less than you make on the product, uh, then you win. And I get that from a, a point of view, but there are a lot of people in 2008 who had those loans called and, you know, their house of cards came crumbling down. So, you know, I, I, I fear debt mainly because I'm older. When I was younger and had less to lose, I probably wouldn't have cared as much. Uh, but anyway, I, I just want to throw out some resources there. I, I'm with you on that. I hate debt. I'm not a debt-oriented person. Anybody who knows me will tell you that. Um, the one thing I realize is, and, and, and I hate when they say there's good debt and bad debt, but the problem often is that when you're looking to acquire a very expensive asset that you cannot pay cash for, um, it may delay your ability to get it so far into the future that you may not ever get it. And right. when it came to real estate, I did take some risks in the very early days of getting, uh, saving up a lot of money, buying a property, um, flipping it, turning that into another property, down payment, buying two or three, flipping that. And, and that was the way that I doubled down and got through this. And you're right, it's musical chairs and you, you know, just hope the music's going to, not going to stop and you're without a chair. Um, and that has happened to me before. It's a high-risk endeavor sometimes to do this. Thankfully, over time, the smart money is you let the tenant pay your property mortgage off. Right. You don't pocket that money and go and buy the flat-screen TV. You, you keep the frugality angle going. You let the tenant pay down the property, and then they've become 
the financier to your mortgage and your mortgage is so minimal at that point that you could just pay it off with the additional money that you're making on the side or something like that. That takes time to get to that, but 10 years is a reasonable time period to actually achieve that with a couple of properties. And look, you get the right types of properties and they're generating a couple of thousand bucks of rent a month. You get five of those properties, you don't need to work anymore. If that's a 10-year span and you start with one and you get that one going and you get it online and you use it to leverage down two and you're willing to take some risk, yes, you can accelerate it. If you're not willing to take some risk, then don't go for $10,000 a month. Go for two. Start with that and maybe cut your hours back a little bit because you've got an extra $2,000 coming in every month. I mean, that's a lot of money. Right, and if you, and then maybe maybe go out and buy some vending machines. If five six thousand dollars a vending machine, do a deal with the local grocery store or the, or a gas station or something, and say I want to put a vending machine that sells I don't know drinks or something out the front here. I'll share fifty fifty with you on what we make on this thing. They'll come back and go sure. If I don't have to do anything. You take the risk. Go ahead, and then all of a sudden their traffic is generating you money that you're sharing with them. Everyone's happy. You're making money. Your investment's paid off in six months. Go and do it again. I mean, it's how it's not work, right? I mean, people think of this, oh, I've got to go and stock the thing and I've got to go get the coins out or whatever. You're really complaining about that? (laughs) (laughs) Seriously? But you're going to pay, you're going to spend 45 minutes on the road to a job you probably hate each way. And you're going to get there and have to wear a stupid monkey suit and sit in a cubicle and do your thing for eight, nine, ten hours and you're complaining about the vending machine? I mean, I don't know. Maybe it's me. I know guys who are making major bucks and what they do is they go out and they hit garage sales and they buy other people's junk and they know what they're doing because they, they've worked it out and they bring it home, they dust it off and they stick a photo of it on eBay and they sell it for ten times what they paid. And I've done that myself. I've bought for a hundred dollar investment of old vintage computer equipment. I turned it into thirty six hundred bucks, and I knocked it out maybe in about three months. Now, if if that's doable, and I did it on the weekend, it didn't take much time. It was fun. I enjoyed doing it, and all of a sudden, I made some money. What did I do with that money? Well, I invest that money, and then that money generates some dividend, and the the hits keep on coming, man. <laughs> And then all of a sudden, yeah, you're producing that band that you wanted to produce for free. There you go. I, I feel like we've reached that point where we're retreading ground. You know, every conversation devolves to that at, at some point. But one thing I did want to make, when we were talking about uh, uh, risk and debt, um, I, I want to tell you that $100,000 uh, Ivy League degree in social work you got is every bit as big a risk as buying a house. I mean, debt is debt, and and just because it's uh, federally insured doesn't. Well, you know what that means? That means they will never stop haunting you. That's what that means. Um, and I, I do, I'm I'm just really concerned that the the next big crash is not going to be real estate debt, but college debt, because it's unsustainable and it's ridiculous right now. And if anybody, we don't have a lot of young listeners, but if anybody out there can hear me, let me advise you to don't do that. You know, I. Outside of your first job, very rarely does anybody ask where you went to school. Nobody cares. It's true. Um, yeah, 
I think we're carrying a $1.5 trillion debt load on student loan debt. And my biggest, I'm with you on this 100%. My biggest fear is that we're going to bring in a new administration or a new party and they're going to want to do something which is good for the younger citizenry for allowing them to discharge it. And they're going to have changed the congressional law that says that student loan debt cannot be discharged into bankruptcy. And they're going to flip that upside down. And the second they do that, the economy is going to collapse because everybody is going to bankrupt themselves out of that $400,000 debt load they got when they were 20 years old and they were not really in a position where they were capable of signing any contract. Uh, but we, the people, are going to be inheriting that it's coming and i don't see an alternative because it ain't getting any better if this number doesn't start going down what are you going to do mm. all right so i'm going to wrap it up uh doom and gloom to end the year congratulations <laughs> <laughs> no i i think the overall tone of this show was hope uh hopeful and helpful i, I hope it was anyway uh but you know uh, if we weren't raising alarm about things we see that's the benefit of being older is you've made more mistakes you know and i think it was mark twain that said any fool can learn from his own mistakes the wise man learns from other people's mistakes uh these two old guys are telling you that giant crushing debts of any kind are a mistake and thinking that you always have extra time to sell back to an employer is also a mistake that's a debt you know um the 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 anyway i'm I'm just going to stop right there these are the things that uh that take planning you need to it's just not a big thing take 10 minutes and sit down and talk to the people in your life your your spouse your significant other uh, maybe just your dog you know and just ask really hard questions you know we're a new year is coming up what do we want our life to look like 365 days from now start there it's a that's simple a question. Very, that's a very, very good approach. If if you if you even if you're trying to do things like budget and you're trying to reduce your expenses, put a carrot out there. Put a goal, uh, a dream, an aspiration that might be, as you said, the trip to Europe, or it might be the new car, or it might be the whatever, and put the challenge on the table that says, you know, we can have that thing, but we can't go into debt for it. How do we get it? And you know what? You might get the money after a while. And by the time you get the money, you might look at that thing and go, I don't want it. Uh, you know, it was a great idea back in the day, but you know, but whatever. I got this money. What am I going to do with it? Yeah, you can't invest it. You know, in my early days, I financed steak dinners for 15 years. Put them on that credit card and carried a balance on that card for 15 years. That steak dinner cost me $1,800 when it was all said and done. I'm Heck telling mistake, you, man. <laughs> this is a mistake that people do, right? They'll go out and, and they'll buy something on credit because they can. And, and you know, that, that piper always gets paid. Uh, so I like the idea of small goals. Have a conversation with yourself. As, as Michael Jackson said, I'm looking at the man in the mirror. I'm asking him to make a change. Because um, if, if you don't make a change you'll never be anything other than what you are. If you are perfectly content and happy with your life exactly as, as it is, congratulations, you have arrived. If there was anything in your life you want to change, that's not going to happen unless you plan for it. First things first. Make right a plan. On. Yep. Um, I'm not going to beg for money. I, I did a lot of that last week. I, had, I gave an impassioned plea for pay for what you like. 
I'm just going to leave it at that. Uh, I'm not going to solicit comments because we're going to be gone for five weeks. So I'm just going to say it's been a fun ride. We'll see you uh, in a few weeks. Uh, Merry Christmas. Happy Kwanzaa. Happy New Year. Uh, We'll probably be back by Groundhog Day. Uh, So just uh, thanks for hanging out with us, everybody, and we'll see you later. That's it for this episode of The Geek Rant.